Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of Wet and Dry, the Kayaking Podcast. Together with Adrian and Bren, today just Adrian and our first guest ever, Matthias Weger. Matthias, stoked to have you here. Awesome, we're hanging out. What's going on? Yeah, super stoked to be here with you, Adrian. Um, it's amazing to spend a trip together in Brazil. That's where we are right now. And yeah, I hope we're going to have a nice chat together. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know Matthias, Matthias is an absolute savage in the kayak, on skis, in the air. Basically, all kinds of outdoor sports you ever throw at him, he is probably going to do something rad with it. And uh, yeah, Matthias and me, we've been kayaking for a few years now, been traveling, doing some trips together. And this trip brought us actually to Brazil, which was kind of last minute, um, but kind of awesome. So let's talk about like the first couple of days. Basically, now it's nearly two weeks we're on this trip. What do you think about this place? You've been here before, right? Yeah, I've been here in Brazil, I guess, three times already. And yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's a special place for me. Um, it's still South America, but it's also so different compared to Chile and so many other places I've been in South America. So yeah, the lifestyle is just great and the nature is insane. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy to be here, to be honest. Yeah, same here, bro. It's been It's been one of those trips where, you know, you're trying to go somewhere and it doesn't really work out. You think of a plan B, you're like, okay, let's go here. Then that doesn't really work out. And all of a sudden, the Brazil trip came up, kind of threw out some random dots and connections. And we basically ended up buying our flights a week before we flew out, something <laughs> yeah, like not that. Even. Not I even. I guess we bought it on Friday and we flew out on Thursday. So, yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Couple days, super short notice, especially putting into consideration how huge Brazil is. Honestly, I wanted to go to Brazil for like a couple of years now, but it always felt like a, a thing you need to plan out properly just because the size of this country is so hard to scale compared to Europe. Turns out, um, I read this randomly the other day on the internet, the, like the most northern point of Brazil is closer to Canada than it is to southern Brazil. Like it's just a different scale. West to east on Brazil is basically going from all the way from Madrid to 300k past Moscow. Like you're talking a different sized country. And with that obviously comes like so many rivers and so many unexplored rivers. It just felt like a huge task. It needed planning properly, but then somehow we ended up here and so far it's been going great. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's also because of the boys we're traveling with, like Pepe linked us up with, with little John and Hilton. So I guess, yeah, I guess without them, it would be, A little bit harder and probably quite smart to plan it a bit better, but like just pretty much on a guided trip. And I don't know. I love it. Yeah, that's right. Matthias, let's talk about your kayaking career. I read an article in Kayak Session two or three years ago, and it was one of my favorite interviews I've ever read, especially from your transition from being a full-on slalom kayak athlete to like extreme racer slash expeditionist slash just full-time savage and having fun out there. Can you... Give the listeners a quick rundown on how that all happened because I love this story so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's been a, a rowdy one. Um, I mean, the last times I've been here in Brazil, it was definitely as a slalom kayaker. And this was also my favorite years in the slalom kayaking. But then also like living in the Alps, living in um, Innsbruck and Murano mostly, um, You know, it was so hard. Like you see those mountains every day and you have to go for training sessions like twice a day and then drive to Vienna or, you know, before I was racing for Italy, 
So driving to Ivrea and just be there in a concrete channel, <clears throat> it just didn't felt right to me. So I just started to do more and more outdoor sports. And that started to be a problem with the Italian national team um, because, yeah, they, they really wanted to obviously have their athletes with them training and doing all this athlete stuff all the time. So I, I was thinking, I know I, I knew Mario and Felix really well from the Austrian um, slalom team and I was getting together really well with them and it seemed to be like a super chill and relaxed crew there. So I was like, yeah, maybe, you know, already being South Tyrolean, maybe I should try to switch to Austria. And so I did that. I got the citizenship and everything worked out great. Um, we were having a great time and I was going to the mountains a lot. Like I would say already like 50-50, you know, <laughs> like skiing in the winter, doing my physical preparation and everything in the mountains, um, some gym on the side, and then like a lot of kayaking in the summer, obviously, and racing the World Cups and everything. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, like, the people in the federation kind of changed. A new president came up and things got a bit more strict. I was also in the athletes army by that point. Um, mm -hmm. So it was pretty much my job. I got a salary and everything. And so they were like, it was winter coming up and they were like, yeah, dude, like we should go to Australia for a three month training camp there. And as nice as it sounds, it like in reality, it's not that nice. Like it's super hot there. You stand up like super early in the morning, you go for training, then you go back to your room, pretty much hang out there, rest, go for another training, go to sleep and that like for weeks and weeks. And I was like, I would rather like to go to New Zealand and the rest of the team, they were really committed to Australia, which is obviously the better place to train, I guess. So um, they told me, yeah, if you go to New Zealand, Without a coach, you're going to get kicked out of the army and pretty much everything. I was like, well, then just kick me out, do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, went, <laughs> I went to New Zealand and, you know, I didn't even brought a, a creek boat there. But as soon as I got there, first day I went creaking, obviously. <laughs> I had all my mountaineering stuff with me. I did like some insane mission in the Southern Alps, like climbing some multi-day climbs and up on the glaciers, hanging out in the hut. So it was like, as I was used to, like 40% kayaking and training and 60% like mountaineering. I started paragliding there already and, you know, like doing so much fun stuff. And it was amazing. And I came back and I felt so good, like mentally, but also physically. I just had a great time. And so it seemed like the coaches were kind of, kind of happy, you know. I did a good winter preparation. Mm -hmm. Season went quite good. And then winter came up again <laughs> and they were thinking, yeah, it's going to be all good. He was in New Zealand, you know, did his stuff for a few months and it's all good. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go back to New Zealand. And they were like, dude, yeah, we, last year it was an exemption. And this year, if you're going to do it, we're going to kick you out. I was like, well, I'm just going to go <laughs> do whatever you want. And yeah, so they pretty much kicked me out, <laughs> which looking back now, I'm super, super stoked about that was the, I think from this perspective where I'm now, that was one of the most important points of my life that I actually managed to step back from Salem a little bit. And I mean, I didn't got a salary anymore, which was kind of hard. Mm -hmm. um, at that point, GoPro was a big thing for me. I won the GoPro million dollar challenge, which gave me like some 
some money to actually do what I love to do. And that kept me going like for a year, you know, like going into the mountains, going skiing, not having to work. And then it was the end of the year and I want to go another challenge again. <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh, that's pretty good. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and so I just kept going, you know, the rest is history. Like I want it again. And then, you know, yeah, just went Roof into on this there. world. Yeah. yeah, it's super interesting to see like your transition from like slalom athlete where like your only job is to perform within the competition to now where it's more like you do what you love and definitely content is obviously a big topic for you and your brother right you guys run a, a huge social media channel you're going to start your youtube soon i heard so it seems like it's all transitioning towards that way mm, would you say i don't know for me like i'm super happy with that content side of things because it just mm. gives me ultimate freedom to yeah. do whatever i want and then bring my camera and my friends and, and make something out of it how would you say does that influence like your day-to-day -day life slash your kayaking career i guess like obviously it's making huge impacts here we are now in mm. in brazil you just spent the morning flying the drone getting shots and creating awesome content for social and stuff like that like how does that bind in with your kayaking would you say Yeah, I mean, like, obviously these days, as we all know, content um, is important. You can be the best or let's say the second best in the world. And without content, you're not going to make a living out of it. Like, we all know it. So I guess it is part of it. Um, but, like, me personally, I really try to don't lose the passion mm -hmm. for what I'm doing by creating content. I mean, making content sometimes is, sometimes is nice when you're motivated, but I don't know how it is for you. But for me, it's like, I kind of like more some sort of like 50-50, you know, sometimes yeah. I want to be just super egoistic and do my stuff and like go kayaking, uh, so sick, you know, go skiing and don't care about cameras. And I do it on purpose. I just don't take a camera and I just do it to also feel it's my passion and I want to do it. And then there is obviously other days where I just take a camera and then it's okay. I don't know how you do it, but. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're, you have a similar approach, right? Same here. Like, usually when we go kayaking, when I go kayaking on the river, um, when you take a camera, it's obviously it's not like an office job, but it's more like work, mm -hmm. right? You go, you take every single eddy. Yeah. You're not going to go into that kind of flow. You're going to exactly. take shots. You're going to jump out your boat, run around, yada, yada, yada. So I agree. I think it's super important to, to go for these joy labs where it's just maybe GoPro, mm -hmm. ideally just nothing and just go with the flow, exactly. go kayaking, as you say. Remember why you do this exactly. and why you love this so much. And then obviously also like find the motivation to go out and bring the camera again because we all know if you don't bring your camera, you're not going to get the shots. And uh, it's a pretty simple, it pretty yeah. simple calculation. If you don't have your camera, you're not going to create content. But I agree, it's it's very important to not lose track on what's really important. Mm. And I also think the only way to really show what you love is when you actually love it. I don't think there's exactly. a way to kind like, of... I mean, you can try, but then it's just going to be hard and it's going to be even harder to do the content. Yeah. It's just going to be a pain. So like, yeah, the main thing is still the love for the sport. And, and I'm like, especially in kayaking, I'm super stoked to say that. I just love it so much. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I'm also like mostly not living from the kayaking side of things. It's more mm -hmm. like the mountaineering because as we all know, kayaking is not an easy sport to make a living. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I really, I really just try to keep the passion and the stoke high and, you know, like for filming, I don't know, for me, I think the ideal filming setup is when you run something where there is quite a lot of scouting involved. So mm -hmm. the filming 
kind of like goes in. Comes naturally. With, yeah, it comes naturally and you keep the flow. And then, yeah, obviously when you're shooting for something and you need to get out and wait and do and stuff, it, for me, it takes away some flow, which is all right once in a while. Yeah. No, for sure. There's that like, you're going to go out with friends who know how to work cameras. That's one thing. But when you go with a production crew, who's maybe not has shot kayaking before, and it's that classic <laughs> hurry up and wait kind of approach. Uh, one of the most exhausting days you can do is doing that basically trying to get into the flow before running a big drop and then you have to wait sure. because yeah. someone fucked up with some camera somewhere or stuff yeah, like that 10 takes <laughs> just like you know yeah. uh, can you maybe hold the paddle out in front of your face and like oh dude <laughs> I'm running a 50 foot waterfall yeah. like <laughs> I cannot think about this right now <laughs> no that's true awesome so basically you split up your season between summer and winter hmm. like opposite to most other pro kayakers you you do you you commit to the winter right and then you spend yeah. your time in the yeah. mountains is that something to fuel your kayaking or is that like sounds like to me that you you enjoy this just as much and kind of brings back that fire for you to come back yeah. into the spring season for kayaking again right i mean that's what i did when i was slalom kayaking as well i did like a, m a full month like off i didn't touch my kayak And yeah, obviously these days it's uh, a bit more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We have a little bee in our car. So. Yeah, the podcast <laughs> studio is currently a small rental car <laughs> parked next to a 300 foot waterfall um, in the scorching heat. And there's like so many animals around. So if audio quality is not picture perfect, excuse us. We're trying our best. We are um, on the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But... Yeah, um, I mean, so yeah, I split up my season quite a bit these days and the winter season kept being longer and longer. And I mean, I really try to keep the kayaking going over winter, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's hard because with conditions, you know, then you see like this snowstorm coming up, you're like, oh, I need to stay at home, you know, maybe it's going to be a good one. And then it's a bad one again. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, oh, bro, I'm having so much FOMO all the time, <laughs> you know, doing so many sports. It's just, <laughs> yeah, I guess like it's one thing to be stuck somewhere where kayaking isn't great and you see your friends crush kayaking elsewhere on the planet. But then when you also have friends crushing skiing yeah. and paragliding elsewhere, yeah. that's crazy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I need to work on that. Like, yeah. you know, when I'm in Brazil and I keep checking flying weather at home, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not what you should do. But yeah, I, I'm aware of it. So. Yeah. Let's uh let's talk about your flying because also you've been crushing the paragliding game the last few years, flying a lot with Aaron, right? Can you tell me about that, how that procedure went and what you guys do in the Alps most days? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that's another funny story. My paragliding, let's call it career. It's <laughs> <Just laughs> actually not a career. But I, I had um, mononucleosis, you know, that kissing disease. <laughs> um, is that an STD? Uh, no, it's like, you know, it's like some sort of virus. Which ah, yes, I do when you know this. When you don't chill out, like, it just fucks you up. And it was during the summer season, like, just before Euros, I got it. Like, pretty much all of us got it, Mario and me. Mm -hmm. And then um, we went for European Championships and we were so fucked. And then it just kept going, like, World Cup afterwards, three World Cups in a row, week by week by week. And we, like, I did two and then I was so done. Like, I, every day I slept, like, 18 hours. Damn. And then under 23 worlds came up and I was just so destroyed. So when I was at home, I couldn't train at all. I was honestly mostly just sleeping and I was so bored and I got so grumpy because I'm just sitting at home. 
So I went to a Facebook group and bought Barclay. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about impulsive bias. <laughs> yeah, I cannot recommend that. Better do a course. But I was sick. I shouldn't hang out with people. So I just bought a glider and took like the gondola up when it was empty. And I was flying every day. And that's how it started. And then once I landed in, in Tyrol, where Aaron is usually based mm -hmm. and I had like a little I mean a bit of a harder landing and <laughs> his mom comes to me he's like you need I don't need to talk to you when you're back call him you have his number because I did the little meeting man with him with him before so I was yeah. like, oh fuck <laughs> maybe give the listeners a quick intro to Aaron who he is and what he does yeah so Aaron practically is is I'd say yeah one of the really best paragliders out there Red Bull athlete um He's in the game since so many years, doing the Rappel X Alps, winning Dolomitman on a regular basis. He's just one of the really, really best pilots. Mm -hmm. So I was like, fuck, now I'm going to get so much shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then I met him in the gondola. I was like, um, he has a bit of an accent. He was like, Matthias, you cannot land like this. You, know, you cannot <laughs> land like this here. I was like, fuck, okay, yeah. So, tell me. so he gave me like a little introduction. Which I figured out he, he does to everyone who lands there because it's a tricky landing field. And so from that day on, pretty much we just started to hang out so much and we went on like daily missions into the, into the mountains. And he, he really helped me to step up my paragliding game and took me to takeoffs where I would never take off. You know, if you have somebody, same in kayaking, who tells you, no, this is all good. You can just go and mm. just look out for this or that. And yeah, so this relation just got closer and closer and we were just yeah hanging out so much over the last four or five years and i guess we are a great crew <laughs> i find that so amazing especially considering like i mean obviously when you stepped into that gondola and if i translate this into kayaking terms you were like an absolute beater yeah. who rocks up at the put-in and there's one of the best paragliders out there and just decides to help you out and you guys form a bond over that that's that's pretty unique i would say and that's yeah. super awesome yeah it is like, like also for aaron you know he has been doing so many solo missions for years and years because mm -hmm. there's been some accidents um his father and his best friend passed away so for wow. the following five six years he pretty much just went alone and then he kind of like found me mm -hmm. i was like ah oh, that's sick you know he's super motivated and like Not gonna lie, but kayaking helps so much with flying. You know, like understanding how water moves mm -hmm. and transition it to the air. It's just something which helps you so much. And he saw that and he saw, yeah, he's learning so fast. So yeah, he helped me out a little bit in the beginning. And then really soon we could just start doing stuff together on a kind of similar um, level. Obviously he's way more experienced and still way better but he doesn't have to look after me that much anymore so yeah it just works out beautiful story <laughs> also saying that like kayaking is i think to get to a like a decent level where you can actually keep up with a pro kayaker it just takes a bit longer it's it's way more technical mm -hmm. i'd say um but yeah not I, i mean it can happen there's people out there which went up to a really decent level in very little time as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not news that many kayakers kind of like pick up paragliding on the way when they kayak for many years. I mean, there's so many examples. Evan Garcia being yeah. one of the most notorious one. This epic Uber Steezy kayaker, like role model for so many upcoming kayakers, including myself. 
um yeah, back in the day like what <laughs> a legend flow, yeah like, grew up with that always <laughs> got me so fired up for kayaking was always so grateful to be able to learn from him and go kayaking with him then eventually picked up paragliding and now is like one of the best pilots in the he united is. states right yeah he is i guess he he was in the top three on the xc contest <laughs> so impressive so, yeah i mean it is insane yeah uh, i will say though like usually how it goes in kayaking after a few years people pick up other sports let's say skiing and biking would be the two ones with the most injuries. Like whenever my kayaking friends pick up biking, I'm just expecting that call that their collarbone is broken type thing. Yeah. Paragliding is a bit better, but still. It's like you break your back paragliding. Yes. <laughs> usually you broke it before kayaking. <laughs> exactly. Like still you get these calls of somebody fucking up a landing and yeah, breaking yeah. their back and stuff like that like it's a bit more rowdy than it seems when you just see the people yeah. in the air piloting around wasn't there <laughs> wasn't there a little bit of an injury as well on your kayaking paragliding trip in Norway last year or two years ago <laughs> yeah you could call it like that like I was in Mürkdalen uh, and after kayaking I just wanted to go for a quick flight it was quite a lot of downwind mm -hmm. i would like looking back now it's, it was probably 20ks of, <laughs> of backwind and i was like yeah well it's quite steep it's a nice slope so i just went up there with zach you know we were super fired up after kayaking you know this thick water high volume was fucking sick <laughs> like yeah let's send this one and i run down that that hill and obviously i i didn't manage to take off <laughs> <laughs> and i somehow like broke my tendons on on the ankle uh. But, you know, it's part of the game. You can still kayak with broken tendons. Yeah, so you definitely it's did. all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I, what I got to say, I mean, we talk about this a lot off the podcast and just when we hang out, like your skill set between mountaineering, flying and kayaking is kind of leading towards something new for you because you and your brother, you bought like a dual paraglider type thing, right? Yeah. Um, it sounds so cool and I'm really looking forward to see what we're going to realize with this thing, but maybe give the listeners a quick <laughs> yeah. intro on what you cooked up there. Like what's, what's that uh, thing? Like there is something new, which you don't even, which I don't even told you. Like, Ooh, <laughs> Ooh let's go. <laughs> like I bought, we bought this, um, electric paramotor, mm -hmm. um, to fly up to some of our local peaks, like let's say Ortler, which is three, eight, mm -hmm. and then have like the passenger, drop off with the skis and drop straight into a face and ski down and do like you know um sort of heli skiing just with a paraglider and electric um and we tested that last year but we sold it <laughs> <laughs> we sold it because it didn't have enough power to fly in okay. these altitudes and also you know i mean it's still electric but the electricity needs to come from somewhere and also we especially we as kayakers I mean, I hate dams and I hate electricity. Let's say like that. I hate electric cars, obviously. Mm -hmm. Kind of need to because every dam destroys one of our rivers. And as it is these days, even super small dams and super small rivers are considered green, even yeah. though they destroy a whole river and doesn't produce much electricity. So yeah, it is still energy. It is still not good for our environment. So we are just gonna transition all of that into just thermal flying we're gonna get built a pretty big tandem paraglider mm -hmm. which we're gonna use in spring when the thermals are on and we're gonna do just the same thing but without engine and just the thermals and yeah then i think i can fully support it and 
yeah, I think it's it will work out. Like we did it before, and I'm sure we're gonna send some insane lines with that thing. Sick! I love that when you combine all these sports and cook up something entirely new. That's pretty dope. But talking about the dams everywhere, right now we are in Mato Grosso, Brazil, which yeah. is it seems like to be one of the emptiest states of Brazil. And uh, kayaking with the local people here. They all tell us about all these amazing rivers, but then usually the second sentence is, but, but it's dammed. Yeah. There is a huge big water rapid, bup, 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 but it's dammed. Seeing all the forest being cut down, like it's huge farm fields out here. I've never seen that amount of farm out yeah. there for cattle, soy and cotton. Like literally until the horizon line, yeah. you see farms like crazy And like, then you see some rainforest coming up and there is a river because it's usually yeah. protected because of the indigenous people. But part of that, it's just hundreds of kilometers of farmland. And then you think like, yeah, maybe it was always some sort of like, you know, no man's land. But actually mm -hmm. the voice said that most of it, like even 10 years ago, was still forest. and was straight jungle. Yeah, so, you know, also yesterday we drove over that river and we we're like, yeah, but this one is way bigger than Shukru Arena. And mm -hmm. they were like, yeah, it is, but it has a dam. It had some <laughs> super sick crap. It's just a few years ago. And like, yeah, well, uh, that's how it just goes everywhere, I feel like. Super sad, I agree. To me, it kind of feels like wherever you go, there's always already a dam or a dam in planning. I would, I would like to know what in 50 years' time, we would say about yeah. kayaking. I really hope it's not going to be the situation of we used to kayak in this country and in that place, and it was awesome, but now it's just a mm. dam. But it does, unfortunately, kind of feel like, especially recently, I've yeah. been getting into contact and touch with this topic so much all I over mean, the world. I mean, if you hear sentences from high politicians, like Norwegian politicians, which say, like, our country is not green until every river is dammed, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, it's insane like w like what we're gonna show to our kids like yeah. they're not gonna know what the river is right they don't know they're not gonna yeah they haven't thought about that that's crazy uh, yeah i mean uh, right now there is a new project on the round down river right yeah have you read into that further yeah a little bit like it they it's it's an, like they use the excuse of high water and high water protection mm -hmm. um because i guess was it two years ago There was like a huge yeah, flood on, went up to on 900. Round on, yeah, yeah. I mean, but you know, just what happens on a river like that. And it brought away a few houses, but it's not the fault of the river. It's the fault of the people who built their house too close to the river, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And it was also just five houses. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, how many people live in Nobody that died. It is just like, yeah, some stuff. And so they, they anchor the people and, and, tell them, yeah, we're gonna build the dam and whenever the river is too high, we're just gonna send it over to another um, valley and it's gonna be all good. But Scary. actually the, the thing behind is still the money and yeah. they're obviously gonna use it for electricity all the time to finance this project, which is the excuse behind it. <sighs> so bad. Sounds scaringly similar to the Kaunatal project. Yeah. But there have been some good news. Right now, uh, main media and the big press have picked up on that and yeah. What Tiwak has all been doing wrong, for example, selling green local energy to the people, which was definitely neither green nor local. So they've been getting caught on that. And speaking to some of the people who are involved with this uh, project to stop that uh, counter expansion happening, it sounds like we have actually pretty good cards. So fingers crossed we can keep fighting that fight, the important one, and hopefully stop this stupid expansion. Um, so... It's, I guess for me, it's nice to see 
that not all hope is lost because you yeah. really sometimes feel like you're mm. fighting against nonsense basically because yeah, companies are big like, it does yeah. huh? i mean there's so much money involved but also we as kayakers if we all hold together and try to involve also the locals and stuff like that you, you can have some resistance and uh, it's just so important to to look after this thing but yeah talking about countertile man this is insane like this is just exactly where i live between Ötz and Merano usually mm -hmm. and I see those glaciers you know they like five years ago man they were so so much bigger and in five years they lost so much substance that's as long as I was in the mountains you know or spending a lot of time in the air as well so I see it mm -hmm. and until this this power station is going to be built in like 10 years there's barely going to be any glaciers so where is the water going to come from like yeah and that's they don't even consider that in that's so I remember one of the videos you posted the other day Where you're like, this is not a, a swimming pool. This is actually a dying yeah. glacier. Was that around there? That was around there. Yeah, it was a little bit farther south. Mm -hmm. There, pretty much the glaciers are gone. Like the first time I went up to that mountain was 10, 15 years ago. And I went up like with ice axe, crampons, ropes for crevasses and everything. Mm -hmm. And it was like five, six hundred birds of glacier hiking. And now it's not, it's gone, you know. That's too crazy. <laughs> One of the most eye-opening moments for me around there were when we were doing bike to boat and okay. one day we were going up to Paddle Rofener Ache, mm -hmm. one of the tributaries to feed Earth, so basically where it comes from. And you start at the glacier and you have this like little hike, um, maybe, I forget, maybe six, seven Ks. Mm -hmm. And eventually you Not get to like, a, yeah, <laughs> but eventually you get to this, it's like a path, it's super yeah. easy. But eventually you get to this like little iron cross where it states the glacier reached until here in 1890 yeah, or something that's where they were like not that long ago biggest, yeah. exactly and you see that you see that little iron cross and then i shit you not you walk for another 3k before you even see the first yeah. peak of the glacier and i mean that's not that long ago we're talking 130 years 40 years yeah. whatever that is and it is so much glacier we lost and that for me was one of the first times I saw like an actual like you know I, mm. I was at that place and I saw the reduction and I saw what was left and what's left is definitely way less than what we already lost yeah 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 it's nothing like yeah this this signs always giving ghost bumps like you stand there in, in the middle of the forest there's like 20 meter high trees mm -hmm. and it says the glacier reached until here 120 years yeah. ago think about that <laughs> it's wild Yeah. And I mean, right now, you know, we're paddling our local rivers, the Earths and all these rivers and Vellabrücke season, for example, is low water season. But I wouldn't be surprised if one day it's going to be, hey, it's raining. Let's go to Vellabrücke. It's in. Um, scary thought and hard to imagine right now. But I do believe that could most definitely be our future. Yeah. I, I honestly think so. Like, I mean, spring will hopefully always be good if, you know, I guess it will be snowing for many, many years. Mm -hmm. But the glaciers will just not be there anymore. So after the snow melt, it will be something like that. You know, wow. it's raining. Yeah. Go to Earth when it's raining. <laughs> that is yeah, so we're laughing. <laughs> we're laughing now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you see these, these phenomena worldwide. Obviously, rain seasons are moving. Yeah. They're getting harder to predict. Right now, we're in Mato Grosso. Uh, as we said, in the rain season, I think tonight was the first night of rain. Fair enough, that can shift around a bit back and forth, but it's just getting more and more tricky, it seems like. But mm. that should not stop us from going out there and exploring. Um, 
let's chat about this trip a little bit. So obviously we've paddled some like nice local runs. The boys know Sucro Arena was mm -hmm. one of them. Honestly, for me, a super beautiful place of just this, it's this play park, like. It, it's such a peaceful place. It really reminded me to, to Rio Oro, like uh -huh. a place where I, I really feel and find peace. Not that hard of a river, but yeah, amazing booths, just, this perfect 10 meter waterfall <laughs> where you can just do everything, <laughs> land on your head, yeah. drink cobras and uh, it's just amazing. That was just wild, paddling in through the jungle, seeing an abundance of wildlife. Honestly, wherever you look, there's some yeah. kind of animal doing something. Yeah. Um, and then you're like, go through these different channels, this and that, run some small drops. And then there's this one 10 meter drop and it's like a cheat code. Like it's, it's, cheat code. it's, a, it's I guess it's hard to, to throw something like mm -hmm. apart from back free wheels, which work actually really well. Yeah. But Otherwise, that, that narrow entrance with all this little curler thingies, it just puts your boat a little bit... Awkward place. Uh, and, and loads it with water. But also on the other side, you can just do whatever you want because it's so It's insane, so, so safe. Um, we both landed on our heads multiple times, <laughs> fucking around with cobra flips and that thing. And Breaking paddles. I broke my paddle. <laughs> and other than that, nothing happened. Now I only have one paddle left and we have a lot of big waterfalls in front yeah. of us. So this is going to ask for some clever clever thinking when to throw mm. my paddle when to hold on but i hope it will be fine should be good and yeah now we just uh sit next to this like 80 90 meter waterfall which looks scaringly runnable in terms of like it is lip. just the perfect like if, if you would have to design a 90 meter waterfall which is runnable you would pretty much make what it is here but basically it's just a bit too high in my opinion hugely you know, like, big yeah we were having this discussion yesterday like if this thing is ever gonna get run or not like obviously it's a huge step up uh from the current world record which is Peluse falls more than i don't know like 30 30 40 meters more yeah. but it is looking so perfect and the world record has been standing since 2009 i think when t-brot mm -hmm. properly stepped up and ran that thing. And Palouse has been repeated a couple of times since. Rafa Ortiz ran it. Uh, James Shimzu ran it. Knox Hammock ran it. Like, pe few people ran it since, and they all were fine. Yeah. So now the question is, what's next? Is there going to be a next? Like, by this point, you're talking about the height where people base jump off. Yeah, um, yeah, you can totally base jump off this. Yeah. <laughs> like, easy. <laughs> like, that's big, but it's also perfect. And I am really interested to see if there is ever going to be a time when somebody decides to fire this thing up or maybe not. As we say, it's it's looking as good as it's going to get for a waterfall that size. And obviously, there's not many places in the world where all these factors yeah. come together so well to have a waterfall where you could even closely think about yeah. going over it. Yeah. Um, but this is one of them. Uta, Uta, how do you pronounce it? This sort of Utaritichi. Uh, ut or I don't know. I really know. I, hideous, I'm really struggling with Hideous Portuguese. Name. Hideous. <laughs> I thought I was going to get around with some Spanish, but no oh, way. No. <laughs> Without Lil John and Jilton, the local Brazilian kayakers, we would be so lost. Yeah, right. But uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's an intense place here. Like for me, already just being here and sometimes playing with the thought which obviously mm -hmm. is very unrealistic and i'm aware of it of going over that thing and just imagining the line bro yeah i did the same last night oh. in my hammock <laughs> gave me goosebumps in my hammock just thinking like looking over like literally 100 meters down uh, and, and then you count to five <laughs> until you hit the bottom like. 
Oh. We were we were sitting yesterday night. We were sitting super close to the lip, like literally campus, maybe fifteen meters away from the lip, and we're talking. And we're like, "It's so weird. This thing is not that loud. Like it's a huge drop." And then we're like, "Well, actually, it's also super tall, and the landing zone, which creates all the sound, is like ninety meters away from us. <laughs> <laughs> like you can just chill at the lip and and look at it and and be totally fine in terms of volume. Um, but down there, it's it's proper chaos. We paddled a section yesterday downstream." Um, super fun paddle, nothing yeah. too crazy, nice kind just of... insanely beautiful. Yeah, insanely beautiful way through the jungle, some nice moves. But just seeing and feeling that raw power at the bottom is is wild. I'd be highly interested in some calculations, maybe even some like sensors and some mm. crash dummies being sent over this thing. Just I just want to know what's yeah, going to happen because exactly. I don't think anybody ever really like worked on that scientifically to my knowledge. I don't think so because there's, I guess, so many factors which are so insanely hard to predict for mm -hmm. somebody who is not really deep into kayaking. Yeah, and I guess there's not so many physicians in the kayaking community which calculate stuff like that. I don't know. Actually, there is a few. I, I yeah. remember. Yeah, I remember a few people from the UK who were doing some cool calculations on Alexandra. Mm -hmm. So, if we have any physicists on this podcast listening. Please get in touch. I would love to see a calculation about this waterfall <laughs> and what it would do to you. I am so interested. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, we should, we were thinking of just sending David's boat down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see what it does. Nah, that's just a joke. But, you know, if, if you send it down three times and three times, it's totally fine. Like, what do you gotta do? <laughs> <laughs> it would be so scary. You send it once, it's fine. You send it twice, it's fine. And you just push it off the third time and you're like, well, let's see how it's gonna come out. This kind of determines if I'm gonna run this or not. Whoosh, that would be a scary thought. <laughs> we were doing some, just some kind of shit talking yesterday. What what you would want to have for this and came to the conclusion you probably want like a 30 kg plastic uh, kayak full of foam or something. You want that um, Telebra designed this or maybe it was Rush also they designed this like cockpit rim protection mm -hmm. you put around your spray deck in order to like not have it pop I think it first got put into use for Palouse I believe yeah. and it seemed to be working perfectly mm -hmm. so you definitely want to have one of these yeah, probably full face and just wow, get ready for savage impact or maybe not who knows uh, ah, we it's don't so know <laughs> it's so hard to say it's been on my mind all day, all night. Um, but even stepping away from this humongous waterfall, there's many more super promising waterfalls uh, in the next week or two coming up. I'm very much looking forward. I'm not going to jinx it and talk about it now because you know how it goes. Yeah. You talk too much, it's not going to happen. But and then you break your last battle. <laughs> exactly. So no, just joking, but... fingers crossed it's all going to work out. But so far, I'm really impressed by Brazil. I'm blown away by the white water, the people, the culture, the country in general, honestly. And I really understand now why so many people have been exploring here, mostly Pedro Olivia, Ben Stuxbury, Chris Krubulik, and the local boys, obviously. Um, but yeah, it, it seems a very promising country to me to come back and do some more exploring, even after these first two weeks yeah. of a taster. It's it's epic. And it let's not talk insane. about the churrasco. Yeah. <laughs> I've been smashing steaks every day and I've been loving life every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been hard on the steak bender, that's for sure. Yes. All right, Matthias, thank you very much for this one. 
Let's go kayaking to all our listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Again, if audio quality is not perfect, I am very sorry. We are trying to make it work as good as possible and keep you updated on this trip. See what Bren gets up to. Hopefully, I can connect with him for a call and another podcast episode in the next week. And if not, we're going to have more guests on this podcast super soon. I'm traveling with a bunch of funny people who have lots of cool stories to tell. So looking forward to hear you all again and go kayaking. Thank you very much. See you next time. Cheer, cheer.